Hi everyone, I'm Nikki Sharma, an anaesthetic registrar, dog lover, and recovering workaholic. And I'm Nadia Taylor, an anaesthetic SHO, mum to two little ones, and self-proclaimed foodie. And you're listening to Coffee and a Gas, a podcast about all things well-being for anaesthetists of all ages and stages. Looking after ourselves is more important now than ever. We're here to explore our bad habits, fears and concerns, as well as learning the strategies to combat them and feel well. We're chatting about things like stress management, diet and sleep, and talking to some pretty great people along the way. So whether you're listening to us with a cup of tea in hand after a tough day at work, or nursing your morning coffee waiting for the bus, we hope you enjoy this journey of feeling well together. Today we're talking to Mark Stacey. Mark is a consultant anaesthetist and board member at the Association of Anaesthetists. He's the Associate Dean at New Initiatives and an expert in stress management. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us on our first podcast episode on Coffee and a Gas. Many thanks for inviting me. Nice to meet you both. You too. And you. So you've spent a lot of time in your career on raising awareness about stress and teaching people how to manage stress. So how did this all begin? And could you tell us why you became interested in helping anaesthetists manage their stress better? Well, I guess to tell you, start from the start of the beginning, really, I I got really sort of pretty much obsessed with it when I was a trainee, uh, primarily because of the extraordinary demands that I think we've all had to go through through our training. Um, and I realised that if I didn't actually address it as a particular concern, I was going to come to some kind of harm. Um, and I suspect that's true of many of us, that the, the extraordinary demands. I was, I was going through my old lists of stressors, which I, I keep, I suppose, I update every sort of six months to a year. And I went back to 1991 when I was doing my uh, final fellowship. And... Um, yeah, it's interesting. Apart from exams, there's very little difference in the actual stressors that we're under. Uh, so I guess I got interested then, and on the back of that, I realised that it, it's massively important for our performance. We, we work in a very high-pressure environment. Uh, we work in a very time-constrained environment. And in order to look after our patients as well as we want to, we have to do the best we can all the time. And that's extremely challenging. So going on from that... I think that the first thing we all need to do is appreciate how to recognise that we are stressed. It was interesting how you say you write down your stresses. I like that as kind of a a catalyst. But what do you think are the particular things that we as anaesthetists need to keep in mind that we might be becoming more stressed? My my particular focus, I guess, hobby is performance under pressure. And I guess one of the things I've learned about performing under pressure is one of the key pillars to being able to perform under pressure is ensuring that you manage your own well-being. And that means you have to actually do it in an active fashion. So on the back of that, I guess the key feature to that is the way that we manage our interpersonal relationships. So that means that we need to look after ourselves and we need to look after our colleagues. So I talk a lot about managing your bandwidth, managing your cognitive bandwidth. I find it... uh, If I'm having a good day, then I can look after others. If they're having a good day, hopefully they'll look after me. In terms of looking for sort of stress sores or people behaving in a stress fashion, it's quite interesting because if you've got good interpersonal relationships, you can pick that up pretty quickly. 
we don't necessarily have to go around with a heart rate monitor on. I mean, I certainly see it in my patients, uh, and certainly the last year I've seen, I, I, I think, more incredibly dramatic examples of very stressed physiology in particularly awake pregnant patients, which of course is quite easy to pick up with the monitors that we use. I'd love to do some work looking at members of staff to see if you're kind of getting the same kind of physiological patterns, the sort of increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate, the pinched skin, the frightened looks. But I suppose in terms of behaviour, what you tend to notice is people behaving outside of their normal behaviour pattern, which is why you need to know what their normal behaviour pattern is. Things like uh, increased sick leave, being late for work. I know some of my colleagues have had difficulty, well, they'll get to work, but then they can't get out of the car, which I think is, 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 is very worrying. But uh, yeah, there are a whole raft of, uh, of things. I, I think um, performance, uh, almost inevitably, if somebody's performance is, is, is failing, particularly in, the, in some of the very high-performing people that I work with, they're almost always got... Their demands are just being outstripped. They can't cope with those demands. One of the questions I'd like to ask you two, actually, is yeah. would you like to have a life without stress? Well, I was, I was actually thinking about this this morning because there's that, that classical stress productivity, you know, curve that you sort of see. It. And my understanding is that a little bit of stress is actually good for you. Mm. Um, that it sort of, I might be wrong on this, but I, I thought that stress can motivate you. It can get you to do things. It can... Um, you know, be productive, but then I don't know what how a little bit turns into a lot and where that line is. So I also yeah. think that um, if you don't have any badness in your life, you often can't necessarily appreciate the good. And stress can often come out of negative experience or difficulties. And I think if you don't have those stressors, you then can't experience the joy of work or days where it does go well if it was all if it was always easy you wouldn't necessarily have the same satisfaction when it when it you wouldn't appreciate what's the days where it does go well that's my kind of my opinion of it I think you're absolutely right I I find that um and certainly something I've learned about me is it's not so much the stress is the problem and this is where I think one of the real keys to, to to managing this whole mess that certainly we're in at the moment is mm. it's, it's it's your emotional interpretation of that i think you're both absolutely right there is the you know they talk about the inverted u-shaped response to performance there is no doubt that if you haven't got a little bit of stress in your life you're going to have a pretty unpleasant time and i suspect for any of us yeah if you managed a particularly challenging case well we get a real buzz out of that it's probably why we came into the profession the problem is when that demand outstrips your capacity. And I think what, what one of the things I've learned over the years, and certainly one of the things I teach when I'm talking about human performance, is you've got to understand that all of our all of us can have that demand outstripped. Um, and I know from my own performance over the years, and certainly from supporting many people in this environment, that you think you're all right until you're not. And that's why I think it is so crucial that we work together as uh, as teams, really. You know, the, the job has the job is difficult. It's been a lousy year, but it was difficult before. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. You know, it was difficult before. That has and it's going to be difficult when we come out the other side. So, anything we can implement now to look after ourselves and look after each other, I think, is really really crucial. And and I teach a lot about skills, and perhaps we can talk about them later on, but. They're just skills. The skills that we can use to, to maximise ourselves are just skills. 
and like you know we're pretty good at the learning skills so let's learn them yeah. apply them yeah. turn them into part of our you know turn them into our behavior the way you were talking about how you need to know the people you're working with it's almost like back in medical school we first learned normal physiology before going on to pathophysiology and it's it just reminded me of that you have to know your norm to appreciate the abnorm so that's just an interesting thing for me to take away is appreciate the good days what are people like around you and there's not a set text of well that person's stressed or i am stressed um it's just about understanding what people are like normally i was going to ask you about having interpersonal skills and, and sort of understanding your team i think from so from from a trainee perspective i we move around a lot and we're often in different lists with different people, a new theatre team, new surgeon. And then after three months, you know, we move to a new hospital. So we sort of start again. And I think sometimes it's hard to know, hard to get to know your team. And so to have that sort of understanding of, oh, this person's having a good day or this person's having a, a stressful day. And I think, do we perhaps need to kind of read people's cues a bit better and you know, we think they're being hostile or they're uh, being grumpy, but actually, could it actually just be that they're stressed? And, you know, sh- maybe should we be a little bit more compassionate when we're sort of looking at our colleagues? So I think we're quite quick to sort of, you know, judge a bit. We judge people within seven seconds of meeting them. And you're absolutely right. I think you, the compassion is so, so important. And I agree. I think it's, for trainees, it's, it's a, extremely challenging but what I will also say is that I can I can pick it up very quickly in the people I work with. So much so, and it's a question you've got to be very careful asking. <laughs> I usually have to ask this with a box of tissues. You know, is, is everything all right at home? Because often that can open a massive, massive floodgates. But it does then give you an a, an opportunity to 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 try and assist that person. I mean, I think the trainees have been magnificent in this in the last year. Really, really, truly. I mean, it's so, I'm, so, I'm so proud of the work that they've done because it has been a, it's been a dreadful year. I mean, I, I've been a consultant. This is my 25th year as a consultant. Wow. And I can't remember things being as tough in my entire career. But they, they, they have just done, you know, you guys have just done an extraordinary job. I think it's interesting how you talk about consultants and trainees. And one thing I've learned is that, yes, we have, we as trainees, it's very obvious that we're pushed out of our comfort zone in the current scenario. I think it is less obvious that consultants have also been significantly pushed out of their comfort zone. And I wondered, what would you say to us as trainees to consultants who are feeling stressed and pushed out of their comfort zone? What can we do to try and improve their day and improve their stress? And then on the other side, I think, we, we can ask ourselves, what would we like consultants to do for us? But you've actually done one of them already by saying, well done, you've done a great job. I mean, I feel better. I don't know I how, do. you, Nick, I feel, I feel great right now. Thanks very much. But um, I want to know what we as trainees can do for our consultants as well. So I, I teach human factors and, and one of the human factors sort of summary sort of acronyms that we use a lot is the HALT acronym, the Hungry, Angry, Late, Tired acronym. And one of the things I discovered about me is I'm very good at looking after and looking out for my staff. I'm absolutely rubbish at looking after me. And I realized about about five or six years ago that I'd had a, not a run, but I'd had three fairly dramatic and unpleasant events happen to me on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock in the afternoon. Always. And it was, Always yeah, Friday and it was afternoons. 
And it was because, like many of us, if I'm not on call on the Friday evening, I've got better things to think about at five o'clock. But also, I realized that I wasn't really looking after the hungry, angry, late, tired component for me. So I give my trainees permission to break into that. And I'll give you an example. I, I, last week, I, I was on Labour Ward. We had a fairly busy day. Labour Ward has been crazy, as you can imagine, because it is one of the few places you can't close. Um, and one of the trainees, who and she, she's a fantastic trainee, but she said, just brought a coffee in for me. Now, that just that little human component transformed my day. I mean, I do the same for them, but I think, you know, that little, I carry small boxes of chocolate chip cookies in my in my rucksack for particularly midwives. If they if they're having a crummy day and they're doing all that paperwork that they have to they have to somehow get through, make them a cup of tea and bring them a chocolate biscuit. You know, it's a little human touch things that we can do that that, that do make an enormous difference. I think anaesthetists and consultant anaesthetists need to, I suppose, try and remind themselves that we're incredibly lucky. We've got a fantastic suite of skills which makes us valuable pretty much in any environment. And it's just reminding yourself of that so that when you do go in, okay, you may may be an unfamiliar environment, but you will manage. I was wondering if you could tell us about a time in your life when you were experiencing very high stress and how you felt at the time and, and sort of how you coped with that. Okay, so I'll try and keep a lid on my emotions here, but this does tend to be a fairly, uh, I find this, well, I'm happy to recount it, but I do find a slightly, a slightly struggle trying to control my voice in situations like this. So as I said to you earlier, 91, 92, I started getting really obsessed with stress management because I felt that it was a way that I was going to cope and get better. But in 2010, October, um, I had an anus horribilis, and over a period of about three or four weeks, I was involved in the death of a child out in Zambia, uh, which is where my parents lived. I came back to my family home in Zambia to discover my mother wasn't very well and had to transfer her on a, on a Learjet at midnight, dressed in my shorts, T-shirt, with my wallet and my phone and my flip-flops to an intensive care unit in South Africa. She was very hypoxic, anaesthetist wanted to intubate her, and I thought, if that happens, she probably will not make this flight. I came back to the UK. I work uh, in Cardiff. I work in a tertiary referral obstetric unit, which is an amazing place. I, I've worked there for a very long time. At the time, I'd been a consultant for about 15 years, and I had three obstetric deaths in, 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 in three weeks. And it was tough. After the third one, uh, I really genuinely thought, this, is, this job is not for me, which, bearing in mind, I had committed, my, I suppose, my entire life to, to being a doctor was a real shock to the system. I think the other thing that I, I, I suddenly realised was, despite my, what I thought, huge well of resilience, uh, anybody can uh, anybody can be drained. But sort of over a, a few weeks, I, I discovered, well, I suppose we discovered things. First of all, I've got an incredibly supportive wife and family. They're, 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 they are an amazing part of my life. Uh, I've got fantastic colleagues. I work in a unit that is incredibly high achieving, but also incredibly supportive. And I discovered things about me, which I kind of hadn't really realized I'd learned that enabled me to go back to um, to working and I think probably to working better. Uh, there is this psychological term called uh, post-traumatic growth. Uh, I prefer to use the word anti-fragile because I think it's a, it's a great word. Um, anti-fragility is something that gets stronger when you try and break it. But post-traumatic growth, I guess, is 
is a similar description. And what I can tell you is I have no doubt that I'm a much better doctor since 2010. But actually, I'm a much better person. I like myself more. And that's when I started really looking at practical strategies that we can embed in our lives to um, to to both improve our lives and improve our, our care of our patients. And and I guess it, I suppose the easiest way to summar, summarize it, I came across this about five or six years ago, was what they call the three C's of Stoic philosophy. So the first C is control what you can. I don't know how many anesthetists you know, but uh, we're a bit obsessive compulsive. We think mm-hmm. we can, can control the weather. And of course, I discovered uh, in 2010 that I, I couldn't. You know, even with all my knowledge and my skills and my expertise, bad things still happen to patients that I was looking after. Uh, so the second C is cope with what you can't. And I think that's something that as human beings, we're, we're not very good at. We can't tell the difference, I guess, between a, a real saber-toothed tiger and an imaginary one. And for imaginary saber-toothed tiger, you can say anything, COVID, worrying about exams, all that kind of stuff. We generate the same stress response to the imaginary worry. So we need to develop strategies to to cope with what we can't. And the last C, which I'm going to really try and encourage people to think about, because it's something I wasn't very good at, and I think don't think until my 50s, is, is concentrate on what counts. I think it's really, really important. And I think one of the things that this pandemic, I think, has done is has hopefully focused our minds on what is actually important, as opposed to lots of things that aren't. So yeah, so 2010, terrible time, but I do think that it is, <laughs> it's helped me. What's interesting, again, is, is when I talk to people about this, everybody's had stories like this. And you can decide which road you want to go down. I think uh, one of the things that uh, I discovered in my reading after this happened was was some of the um, re- recounts of, of the Holocaust survivors, in particular a fellow called Viktor Frankl, who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And one of the things he ascribes his survival to is, is, is the choice. You know, he made a choice that the one thing he could control was him. He couldn't control his environment in any way. And he ascribes his survival to that. There's another book by the female equivalent of Frankel, a woman called Edith Eager. Who I, she might still be alive, actually. She must be very old now. But she has written a book called The Choice, and she, does, she says exactly the same. She said, the only thing I could decide was how I chose to feel about my environment. And I think we forget that sometimes. You know, do we do we look at problems as challenges or threats psychologically, which is it healthier to look at them as? I'm quite moved by the way that you talked about your experience, um, because I think that we've all had, like you said, these experiences of adversity and tragedy. And I would say more than possibly the average person because of the job that we do and the things that we see at work and when I was a CT1, in my first week as an anaesthetic SHO, my dad died in intensive care. I remember taking about three days off work and then coming back and just kind of plowing on and not really talking about it. So I think to hear you talking and and being vulnerable is just such a, it feels like it's a less lonely place really when you hear about other people talking about their experiences. But also what you were saying about how you deal with that adversity and choosing to be you know you can let it defeat you and make you more stressed and you can choose to have a jaded view of it or you can you can use it to to become a better doctor as you were saying and I think I I agree with you I think I am a more compassionate person because I now know what it feels like to be on the other side of 
of that family conversation or, or that operation. For me personally, I think I needed to hear that. So thank you very much. I'm not going to call my current time my annual cerebralist because I don't know what's to come. But unfortunately, um, my mum passed away about eight weeks ago now. And I went straight from that into COVID surge and not being able to grieve with my family because of the lockdown that we're in. And that's one of the reasons that we, Nikki and I were interested in stress management and started this podcast is because we were looking at ways of coping because the stress I'm probably experiencing at the moment is unlike any other. And it's it's nice to know that there's probably light at the end of this tunnel that although I feel very stressed and there are times when I don't want to cope with my day to day, it's nice to know that hopefully I will come out of this stronger, just as you've mentioned. And I think that Nikki and I, although we've you know shared our personal experience, hopefully many people listening to this will probably, just as we've been able to relate to that, I'm sure they would do as well. So, you know, hope for hope for lots of people. So thank you so much for sharing that story. So you, you mentioned earlier about learning skills to manage the stress and, um, and building up your resilience. So you've created this baker's dozen of mental toughness, which is kind of like a, a toolkit that um, can be used for, for stress management. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and you know how we can use it? I think we can all learn skills. And I think it is quite interesting when you look at skills in any domain, if you learn the skills properly and you start and you practice them enough, they will become part of who you are. So what I'll often say to people is some of the skills that I talk about in the Baker's Dozen, and I'll, I'll mention some of them in a minute, I've been practicing for, for over 30 years. Some I've only been practicing since 2010 because that was when I thought, actually, I need, I need more skills, if you like. It's called the Baker's Dozen because they're obviously 13. It was actually, interestingly, the first time I gave a lecture based on that was unfortunately a week after one of my colleagues and friends had committed suicide. Again, a problem with uh, problem with anesthesia. And I was talking to about 200 consultants around stress management. And I thought I'd structured around skills, but this literally happened a week after he'd, um, he'd committed suicide, which is, which is very, very, it's a very poignant atmosphere. But what I've tried to do in order to make it practically useful for all of us is to get people to write their own prescription. So in the same way that your doctor writes a prescription for your asthma, you write a prescription for you. And you look at those 13 skills and you go, which ones am I using to maximize and improve? I've come across this term body budget. So in the same way that you've got a financial budget, which you need to have enough money in your account, to pay for the normal things, but also the disasters when your boiler breaks. You need to have a body budget, which enables you to look after the day-to-day issues that you may have, but also is there because the things that are going to crash and burn and are things that you're not going to see coming, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I didn't think I could possibly have three obstetric deaths in, 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 th- in three weeks. That was just really not, not in my playbook at all. So there are skills in there, skills like meditation. I think, uh, as I'll often say to my audience, um, I get them to put their hands up. How many of you meditate? Even nowadays, it's probably less than 50% of the people sitting there. So then I'll say to them, I'll challenge them. I said, well, what you're telling me is you're spending less time in your mental health than you are cleaning your teeth, which I think really does get them to think about what they're doing about it. Physical health. Do you do, you do something physically healthy every day? 
Um, I went out yesterday morning, not because I wanted to, but because I thought I've got to do, I've had a, I've had quite a long week spending too much time doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> so, on Zoom, exactly. So I thought I've got to get out. It was freezing cold in Cardiff, but I felt so much better when I got back. So I guess, yeah, so sleep, physical health, cognitive health. And then there are a few others. The first one on that list of skills is, is do you view your problems as challenges or threats? And often just by asking myself that question, when I can feel things are being pressured, I reframe my day. And remember the three C's. Three C's. Oh, there's a fourth C. Oh, yeah. You know what the fourth C is. Please don't take discuss- COVID. It's okay. <laughs> no, 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 it's no. It's not no. cake, <laughs> different, di- different kind of pandemic, okay? So this, I, again, I came across in one of the, my readings uh, about six months ago is, is calm is contagious. Mm. Oh, that's like the kind that. of pandemic I would, I would sign up for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining well, us. Thank you very much. I really, I've enjoyed this. I feel I've taken a lot away from it and um, hopefully I'll be more productive. And I really hope that anyone listening to this feels the same. So thank you very much. And thank you for being so open and so honest. That was great. It's my pleasure. Well. Thanks. Thank you both. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Coffee and a Gas. We would love to hear what you think, so please leave us a comment on the Association of Anaesthetists website. And if you found this podcast useful and enjoyable, make sure to share it with your friends and colleagues. See you next time.